Hello and welcome to this week's uh, edition of Football Unfocused, uh, presented by Mark and Matthew. I'm Mark, that's Matthew. Hello. <laughs> Listen to that. <laughs> Normally I say, say hello, Matthew, but it, I just stopped and stared at him. No, I know. That that's was, it took oh, me yeah. by surprise. Yeah, you like that. Hello. Is that what you do when, when you catch people staring at you? Because <laughs> oh, then, it, cause then it, it feels like I'm in charge. Yeah. Sort of thing. Do you like feeling in charge? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I often feel on the back foot in most situations. So, mm. um... In all situations, really. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's crack on. Good, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And by, by, <laughs> when I say crack on, I don't mean with the serious stuff of discussing oh, football. No, okay. I mean asking you some really searching questions because the 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 listeners and the people on Twitter are still intrigued uh, to learn more about you. I'm going to do it slightly the other way around first. I'm going to ask the three questions and then I'm going to... Um, ask the question that everyone really wants to know. <laughs> oh my! Right, first, first question, Matthew. What's your favourite road or motorway? Um, uh, I. Mm. You don't like you're having to stare at a screen to tell you what your favourite road <laughs> no, is. I was trying to do. I was trying to turn the volume down. Sorry. Mm. Um, actually, one sec. Sorry, I'm actually going to have to because I can hear myself a little bit. I think. No one likes just... to be able to hear you, <laughs> even if okay. that is you. No. Oh, oh, yeah, hang on one sec. You're actually okay. going to have to edit this, because normally, I no. recently, you've stopped editing anything. I've stopped editing them. You just leave all the shit in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Edit okay. that. Okay. <laughs> you know I'm not. You know I'm well, not. You're now. leaving all this shit in. You're a fucking idiot. You've just got no pride in your, in your work. <laughs> Um, Matthew, what's well, your favourite road or, or I motorway? I do wipe my bum when I go to the toilet. So if that's oh, congratulations! Cost... <laughs> You've achieved something in your life. Well done. Oh, I'm just saying, I do, I do. Anyway, I will cut that out, actually, because that's crap. Yeah, um, that my favourite road is my favourite road would be or motorway. I mean, I guess a motorway, motorway. is a road, but I'm just saying it needn't be a, a, a you know like the road you grew up on. It could be you know the oh, M25. Really? Well, like. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say the um, the A12, I think it is. What makes you like just, the A12 so much? I th- well, I actually referenced it. We referenced it on a previous podcast, <clears throat> how people would often call out when I'm running uh, down the A12. And I and I always remember somebody... I like call you a wanker and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> running wanker. Yeah. And... Um, but I do remember somebody once, I once saw somebody doing a wheelie on a moped while standing on it and driving down the A12. I think yep. I mentioned that as well, probably on a previous podcast. Mm. Um, so this is the reason just fond why memories. that's your favourite stretch of road. Fond memories. Fun, lovely memories <laughs> of uh, being abused. Trying... See, some people would, you know, come up I'm trying with to you know, think a of dramatic... Something thing that cuts through uh, some yeah. mountainous region or countryside or gives an incredible cityscape view, something they've been on on a holiday or whatever, uh, you know, uh, Route 66 or something like that. And instead, mm. you go for the A12 because you've been verbally abused whilst running and uh, <laughs> you saw some fucking pikey doing a wheelie. <laughs> uh, brilliant. And it's but, the road. But, Just for I, anyone outside of uh, the UK, as I know, a lot of our... Um, millions of listeners are <laughs> the the A12 goes from kind of uh, central London to out in East Anglia kind of I think it terminates somewhere like Ipswich it might go a bit further than that right. so we're talking it's in the 
in in the the kind of scope of the UK, it's a relatively minor road. Well, that's very <laughs> used. Um, it's not yeah. it's not picturesque. It doesn't go through anything kind of dramatic or interesting. Uh, but it does no. go close to where Matthew and I grew up. Yeah. I just feel it says a bit of me about that road. So well, I think that's why I've got... Uninteresting, rubbish and minor. <laughs> yeah. Easily forgettable. Yeah, you know, it's innocuous. Like, you know... <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, second question. And, and this, I mean, where you've gone with the road, this because this is kind of along the same lines. Matthew, what's your favourite train journey? <laughs> You're going to say Liverpool Street to Guinea Park, aren't you? <laughs> you are. I can see it in your face. No, no, no. I'll try and think of something else. Yeah, um, but you're, you're trying to think of something else that isn't the honest answer, aren't you? Because no. the honest answer is Liverpool Street to Guinea Park. That is my go-to. That yeah. is the one. Um, I... I quite like the Jubilee line yeah. from Stratford to, <laughs> to wherever you're getting off. Where to where I used to work. Yeah. Um, because, mainly because, the reason I like that is because I got, um, so you get on at Stratford. Yeah. And you're almost guaranteed it, you can get a seat. Yeah. Which is not that common on the other i mean it's quite common but during a working day mm. you'd basically never get a seat um but because i joined it at stratford i did so i quite like that that's that's, oh, that's the reason so... so again i've given you the opportunity <laughs> to talk about one... some of the really dramatic i mean you now live in quite a picturesque part of the country on the edge of the peak district you must see mm. some trains that go through some really beautiful countryside mm. like i, I can yeah, think of like is. journeys coming down I once uh, went to an event in Scotland and I needed to get to Liverpool next day for the Merseyside Derby. So rather than flying back to London, sort of cut through the Scottish borders, going through beautiful rolling hills and countryside, seeing all the grazing cattle and the mountain tops with uh, snowy peaks, uh, going to Cornwall. Once you get past Devon, when it becomes a single track and you're going along the coast on that train down to somewhere like Bodmin, it's absolutely stunning. Get the train into East Anglia where everything's flat and then suddenly the beautiful and majestic Ely Cathedral appears out of nothing. But, oh no, the Jubilee line in which you most of it, you're underground, so I can't see anything out the fucking window anyway. And you're, 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 every kind of stop and station is is the same. Uh, that's that definitely trumps it. Uh, I mean, you, you, yes, I should yes, ask you, Shikosh. I should ask you've got better answers. No one wants to know questions. about me, Matthew, because no. I spend the rest of this podcast banging on about stuff to do with me and my my stupid opinions. They want to know about you, <laughs> the, the, this mystery, want... this man of mystery who doesn't offer much opinion because he doesn't really know anything about <laughs> but they once filmed a uh, a star wars scene i think in one of the uh in one of the stations along the jubilee line yeah i think they've also did they film like james bond in one of one of daniel I, craig's earlier films like, and he, did he, they? yeah i think that was jubilee line it's one of the tube lines anyway and he was like having to like barge through like a packed carriage and i think he ended up on the fucking roof or something but <laughs> so that's a good a reason because something was once filmed there i mean well, no, 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 I don't think of that, but I'm just trying to add some, you know, text, you know, a bit more. Yeah, it's a meat to the bone to... of your yeah, rubbish yeah. opinion. Good. <laughs> uh, final question, uh, Matthew, what's your dream dog? Oh, this is quite a pertinent question, I guess, because we are looking to get a dog. Yeah, I bet you are. Um, like, a, uh, just, what do you call dogs that just have a mongrel? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just like when uh, 
when Joe and I, we, we spent, as as you know, we spent a bit of time in India. Indeed. And all the dogs, they kind of just look the same. They're just like... Racist. I just like no, so you're basically talking they were about... fit and healthy, but they're all street dogs. So you basically feel sorry for the kind of, like the mongrel street yeah. dog, and as a result you have an affection for them. You like the fact that they're not necessarily kind of perfectly bred and what, you know, everyone wants the lovely looking pedigree dog. You like the, do you, in fact, Matt, this is quite enlightening. Do you kind of relate to the, the sort of scrappier, <laughs> unattractive dog that you think? That oh, nobody loves. Yeah, some people might find this dog sort of disgusting, but I don't, I see in it a kindred spirit. Yeah, yeah, something that can blossom or... You know, to, well, some, like be you, you might think they can blossom. Most other people look at it and go, "Yes, stick it, stick it in the incinerator." Good, good, yeah, good. right, that's good. That, that's a fun, and 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 before we crack on, the all important question: the world uh, oh, waits with bated breath. Is there the, any update on your bollocks? These are getting increasingly uninteresting. I feel these updates. Is that because there is nothing more to update? Rang, once no, again, well. No, I actually rang the GP yesterday, uh, Wednesday, because I thought I do actually need an update yeah. for the pod for the podcast, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Doctor, I do a podcast in which I'm required yeah. to give updates on my, the state of my ballsack. I yeah. need my results. Um, and she said, "Oh yes, there's no action required on these tests." So that's the the wee sample test. But I have been booked in now. You may you may remember I I had to go to I've got a hospital appointment as well. Mm. So there will actually be another update. I've got I'm going to milk this story. The story that You're going to milk your balls uh, uh, <laughs> till next till next week because I I'll have a a scan of some sort. I don't know what they'll do. Maybe like I guess it's equivalent to like a pregnancy scan, but mm. on my on your testicles. balls. Not my fault. I'm sure the hey. women out there will be delighted with that comparison. <laughs> comparing you, you looking at your bollocks to people seeing the miracle of life being created inside the human, the human body. Incredible, incredible. Once again, they're incredible answers to really mundane questions, and that's listeners. That's why I ask them because you are. If I asked a normal person those questions, it would be bang, bang, bang. Three kind of, you know. Expected answers, we move on. But no, Matthew's mind knows no limits. It, it doesn't. He doesn't. He's not bound by the conventions that the rest of us are so uh, boxed in by. Right, I wish football. I was. Yes. So I want to just just a couple of things I want to talk about relatively current stuff. Firstly, we I, I just as I say kind of every week, the only time I listen to this um, rambling uh, bollocks is typically uh, the day that we record the next one. Just so I remember what I'm talking about. And when we were talking about referees, one thing that I kind of didn't touch upon, I try and avoid being one of those kind of adding to the <clears throat> adding to the um, the noise and quite cliched rubbish about banging on about VAR because you don't people don't need to hear opinions about VAR on this because you, you can, you've got Sky Sports and all, all you know BBC and everything for that from people who actually know what they're talking about, but. One thing that did spring to mind is that, um, and this is related to kind of what we're going to, what I want to talk about uh, for the rest of the podcast, which is the uh, incredibly close uh, end to the season that we look like we're set for between two unbelievable, um, uh, high quality, sort of era defining uh, football teams. But 
I, I mentioned last week that, you, that the, the kind of pressure on the referee and the abuse that the referee get is maybe diminished by the advent of VAR because um, they are able to kind of palm off decisions. And I think certainly in the stadium anyway, maybe different at home, there's this kind of acceptance that um, they've, they've looked at it, they've analysed it, and they've come to a, 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 a decision based on the sort of technicality of it rather than a, a, the, the object, you know, the referee just making an object, a, a subjective decision on the pitch. And, and it kind of removes the ire from that individual more onto the system. And that system theoretically should kind of be as close to uh, perfect and impenetrable as, um, as possible really, or as much as it ever could be in a sport uh, like football, which is kind of fast moving and, and dynamic and doesn't have kind of defined phases of play like slower games, like like rugby, for example, which has much more natural pauses. Football is free flowing and probably much more difficult to officiate as a result. However, when I when I was thinking about the upcoming sort of couple of weeks for, for my club, um, Liverpool, and the impact it could have on the season and whether or not that results in a league title, I was thinking, well... If we, if if Liverpool don't do it, will it be decided by the result against Manchester City in the, this massive clash coming up on Sunday, or will there be other factors across the season? And, and the reason I think that is because when a lot of people refer back to 2014, in 2014, this Liverpool team that had kind of not done much the previous season, kind of came out of nowhere with this incredible run where they won. A lorry load of consecutive games, 11 or 12 consecutive games. They went like Christmas until May, where I don't think they, they lost. Um, and they had they were so kind of free-scoring. They had like Suarez and Sturridge, Coutinho, Raheem Sterling, Steven Gerrard still just about getting round. And uh, they uh, came within a whisk of just winning the league out of nowhere, having kind of not been anywhere close to winning it for, I think, five years. 2009, they, they came pretty close. Um and they messed up a game against Chelsea. Obviously, the famous where Steven Gerrard slipped over. The, the mistake they made in that game was trying to win it, falling into the tactical trap of Mourinho, who had gone really defensive. Trying to win it when they didn't need to. A draw would have been enough. And then the next game, they were chasing. They were 3-0 up away to Crystal Palace. And they were chasing goals because the only way that they would they looked like they might finish level on points with Manchester City, so they needed to up their goal difference and win about nine nil. They went three nil up, continued chasing goals. As a result, left themselves open, open at the back and ended up drawing three all. And when you kind of go down the Premier League years type uh, school of thought of everything being down to these kind of decisive moments, they tend to focus on the kind of towards the end of the season stuff, those key moments. But when I, as a fan, look back on that season, I think about a game in, in, in December, December 2013, when Liverpool went to Hull City and put in one of the most anemic, pathetic, spineless performances I've ever seen. And, and that, take, that is some going, because around that time, in the years leading up to that, um, we'd, we'd, we'd had some really, really poor teams, some poor players and some awful uh, performances. That's why I always make this point about football being cyclical. And it's important to kind of, you know... Um, appreciate that and respect that and therefore enjoy the good times even more um, and I think that costs Liverpool the title that season more than anything else because that was a game that wasn't under particularly 
trying conditions. That it was a game against a team who ended up um, getting relegated that season. Um, should have been a kind of regulation win. They made it so hard for themselves. They were pathetic. They, they looked ill-prepared and, and inept. And the three points there are just as costly as they were when they lost to Chelsea and lost to and drew with Crystal Palace later in the season. And with this season, I think even more so, I think back to, and this is why now I'm tying it in after this ramble, why it is related to VAR. Uh, when Liverpool played, uh, there's two incidents that, or three incidents across two matches that really could end up having a pivotal role in, in this season. Liverpool played uh, Tottenham at Tottenham in um, in December. Is it December or January? It doesn't really matter. I'm pretty sure it's December. It was a really, really good, entertaining kind of end-to-end game. But I'm, I'm, you know, I admit, I always try and be kind of, you know, unbiased with these things. But Liverpool really did. They, they should have won the game comfortably. Tottenham ended up sort of coming into it and they kept hitting Liverpool on the break. Um, and they had chances and they sort of, you know, scored. But Liverpool, that was a game they dominated. They were clearly the better side. And there were two decisions in that game that are so baffling and they were made by VAR that it, you can go as far as say it cost us that day. First one was Harry Kane put in a challenge after 10 or 15 minutes. It was genuinely one of the worst challenges I've seen by anyone this season. It wasn't malicious, but it was reckless. It went over the top of the ball. It's a textbook sending off by anyone's standard. And I think a combination of who he is, the fact that this old bullshit of, he, yeah, he's not that type of player. It doesn't matter. It's about the challenge, you know, that... That that sort of rubbish really winds me up when people sort of say that he's not that type of player. So you know, so if you fail before, you deserve to be sent off every week. But if you're clean, what they judge as a clean player, you know, leave leave him alone. You can do what he likes uh, because it was early in the game. He's England captain, and quote, he's not that type of player. He was he was let off, uh, and so we should have been playing against ten men the whole match, and we weren't. And then the worst one was Diogo Jota had a, one of the clearest penalties um, I've ever, I've certainly seen this season denied uh, of him. And they went to VAR and didn't overturn it. And you're looking at it going, well, obviously this is going to get overturned. And they didn't. Similarly, Manchester City had an away game at Everton in, uh, I think it was in January, where January or February, where um, they were, there was a handball in the area that was abs- like, as blatant under today's definition of handball anyway. Uh, as as you can get, I think it was um, uh, Rodri, and uh, it wasn't given. And they again VAR. This isn't a, this isn't a kind of quick subjective refereeing decision. This is VAR. They looked at it. They looked at it. They looked at it. They didn't give it. Manchester City win the game one nil. The uproar after the game was so fierce. And the <laughs> this is the most baffling thing. VAR is made in a calm, sterile... The decisions are made in a calm, sterile environment, away from the pressure of the crowd, away from all the noise, that trained, highly trained and experienced officials are looking at a multitude of angles on perfect vision screens and they make a calm, subjective decision based on their knowledge and the laws of the game. And they didn't give a handball. And this was a game played on a Saturday evening. By the Monday... The head of the referees association, uh, Mike Riley, is having to personally get in contact with Frank Lampard, the Everton manager, who's doing a great, great job, um, and uh, apologise to him. So that's two days after a a decision has been made by a team of VAR officials uh, that is so blatantly wrong. And it's... 
within 48 hours they're apologizing to the to the uh, you know so when you look at stuff like that you realize how fundamentally important the the small details like that can be and if and if this season is 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 decided two or three points either way one point either way things like that really do it shows you just how important they are and it can be just as important um down the other end of the table you know if someone um and i'm sure it, it very well could be especially now that uh, burnley have gone and beaten everton the other night and that is looking like it's going to be really really tight um but as i said all along you know frank lampard is 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 uh you know, a football genius. He's a man who obviously understands a lot about Everton. He's got great connections to Everton, and that's definitely going to work. Um, he's definitely going to keep them up because he's he's a proven manager, and uh, he's you know he he gets the bones of the club. He's a real man of the people, Frank Lampard. Um, I mean, he's 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 one of the most outspoken in football anyway supporters of the Tory party and that always goes down a treat in Liverpool they love the Tories <laughs> so I'm sure they really take to him and he's definitely going to keep them up because he's a brilliant manager um, so but it just goes but if they don't go if they go down by two points um, then uh, that's two points that they were denied by get, you know not getting that penalty on that day uh, and that could be obviously the only reason they would ever go get relegated. It would be as a result of an injustice because, you know, like I say, they're being managed by a genius. Um, so yeah, so it is that sort of thing is really important. And let's just hope that whoever wins the title this season, it doesn't you do, you aren't left kind of with those kind of resentments and stuff because there'll never be such a thing as perfection in decision making. But you, you VAR is designed to eliminate the outright errors, and the problem is with the way it's being applied, or certainly was. A particular spell of the season, sort of the first half of the season, it felt even more so that protecting the kind of ego and the honour of the on-field referee and the decision they made was more important than making the correct decision. So the bar, the bar of how wrong the decision has to be in order to warrant overturning it was ludicrously high uh, because they didn't seem to want to say to a, uh, a ref that penalty you've just given isn't a penalty or that one you've just said was a dive was actually a penalty he's, he's clipped him um uh, yeah so I, I i just hope it doesn't come down to that because mm-hmm. and ultimately the more positive uh point to sort of talk about here is we're about to go into a week where two when since really 20 um 20 season uh you're looking at the two clubs that are, have taken um, the standard of, of Premier League football to a level that has never been seen. And it really hasn't. It, my, yeah, all right, my club happens to be one of these. And, you know, so... But but uh, even if you take... Just look at the statistics, the number of points you are now required to win a league title, the number of games you can afford to lose in a season, um, or even draws that you can uh, uh, carry. I looked at the 98... I was thinking about, the, you know... The battle between Liverpool and Man City being relatively similar to um, uh, the Arsenal against uh, Man United in the kind of late 90s and how tight that would have been when Arsenal obviously won the double in 98, kind of blew everyone else away, went on this incredible post-Christmas run. And then 99, there was only one point in it um, in the season in which Man United ended up winning the treble. But that they won the league that season with 79 points. I mean, we Liverpool and Man City are nearly on that now, you know, with with eight or nine games to go, and you wouldn't, you need you'd need that really to get to come sort of third now, and it just goes to show that the the, the, the it's and it's not because 
other teams are weaker because really, I mean, you could make a very, very strong and I believe correct case that that spell in the in the 90s, there were realistically only, you know, two or three genuinely top class teams in the Premier League that would have um, pulled up any trees on the on the European stage. Whereas now you've got five, six, maybe even seven proper quality uh, clubs who are consistently year after year um, dominating domestically and the European stage, you know, it, the Premier League's now got representation in the late knockout stages of all the uh, major European competitions. Um, so the standard has never been higher. You know, the players now um, are almost all wanted to kind of come and play in the, in the Premier League. The money's in the Premier League. The, the profile is in the Premier League. The, the, you know, it's just where people want to play where the best teams mostly are, with it, probably with the exception of kind of Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and uh, maybe Barcelona when they get their arse into gear. Um, so it really is quite incredible that amongst that, with that, with those kind of, you know, those standards that are required and with the high level of performance um, that you see even in kind of, you know, relatively mid-table Premier League games, that two clubs have been able to dominate and rack up the point totals and the consistency, the relentless and ruthless consistency of performance. But what's, what's actually quite interesting is I'd like to look at this really from the point of view of whoever ends up missing out. Because over the next nine days, Liverpool playing Manchester City in what could what could be a, an effective title decider or, or certainly a, a, a pivotal turning point in who wins the title. And then an FA Cup semi-final um, next uh, Saturday. Uh, at which I shall be in uh, in attendance, and uh, it's very possible that one one team could lose both of those games. So uh, let's just let's just say it's Liverpool. Let's just say it's Liverpool, and uh, you know, and Liverpool end up finishing second in the league with ninety something points and um, winning the League Cup. And let's just say we get knocked out of the Champions League at the, the semi final. Now is that a bad season? I mean, I, I I would still say that's an that's an exceptional season, really. If you if you if you look at that kind of across the the, the sort of spectrum of football history, and you say, oh, this look at this team, they've just got over ninety points again. They come second, they've pushed the all powerful Manchester City all the way. They've won the League Cup, um, and they got to the semi final of the FA Cup uh, and the semi final of the Champions League. You can't. I mean, but, but but there will be people out there, particularly in these kind of reactionary Twitter, everything's black and white world, in which they would say, well, Liverpool will be disappointed in that season, all day one was was the League Cup. Similarly with Manchester City, Manchester City are, are, are unbelievable. I feel, a bit, I feel a bit freer kind of praising Man City because it doesn't sound as like I'm so <laughs> compromised by bias. But they are, they are an unbelievable football club. Like, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of getting everything right their recruitment, the, the way they play football is is spectacular. And I, I actually really like to see it because I used to get fed up with the old school kind of English football mentality of, um, oh, you couldn't play that sort of football in the Premier League. Oh, that wouldn't work at, you know, the old cliche used to be Stoke on a cold Tuesday night and all that sort of stuff. Well, no one says that shit anymore because it was always bollocks. And Guardiola has come along and shown that, you know, if you are, basically, if you have the best players and you are a relentlessly brilliant uh, innovative and imaginative coach who drills his players to within an inch of their lives and everyone is so uh, attuned to kind of what their role is and what their relationship is with the 
with the players around them, then there's no limit to what you can achieve. And they are unbelievable. Like their their performance. I remember particularly, I think the 2017-18 season, which is when they got 100 points, and I think it was the first time that Guardiola had won it with them. But they were they were just an immense game after game after game, win, 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 win. And obviously they got um, they got 98 points the next season when Liverpool got 97. And then they, uh, um, all right, came second. They had a bit of a, a dip in 2020 when Liverpool won the league. And then, bang, they're back on it um, last season in the um, the kind of, you know, the, the slightly weird season that it was with the empty stadium. So that, they are an unbelievable side. But yet people will still pick holes on them because they haven't won the Champions League. And... I, again, think that's massively unfair. I have to be consistent here. Much as, you know, I'm saying on one hand that it would be outrageous to say if Liverpool now kind of fall at the last hurdle in a lot of these competitions that they've still ha- that they've had anything other than a positive season. So with Man City, like if Man City win the league um, again and, and the FA Cup, but don't win the Champions League. They'll, I'm telling you, there will be so many pundits who will say, well, this still isn't good enough. To get to that next level, they need to win the Champions League. But that's kind of failing to understand that whilst winning the Champions League is the biggest, it is the pinnacle of, of what a European club, club can achieve. And it is rightly uh, sort of held in that regard. And that's why the, the very best clubs kind of pride, judge themselves on how many times they've won that. And the likes of Real Madrid... Are, um, are kind of fixated with that above all else, you know. That yes, they want to win the title, but it's all about the Champions League, and you know, I'm, I'm I am pretty much on board with that. But at the same time, the Champions League is hugely kind of um, dangerous in terms of one bad performance, yeah, and you're done, and you could be out. So it doesn't always necessarily reflect who's kind of been the best team over the last season. With the greatest respect to Chelsea, they did a superb job winning the Champions League last year. Amazing turnaround in their season. from Because they were being managed, it's really weird actually, they were being managed by an absolute genius up until about January. Um, but then Thomas Tuchel came along and managed to make them even better. Can you imagine? <laughs> even better than being managed by a genius. Uh, they got even better and went and won the Champions League. Um, which is really weird because you didn't. I didn't think you could get any any better than a, than a genius, um, a, a Tory genius. But um, but but apparently you can. So um, uh, but it, but it's good for Everton because that genius has now gone on gone to make to make make Everton great again. Greater things. Yeah, yeah. Make Everton great again. Um, so um, but 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 they were not. They did ab- they did brilliantly. But ultimately, last season, they nearly messed up finishing in the top four in the last match of the season. They had a battle to kind of finish in the top four, and they put together this amazing run of form to win the Champions League. They were not the best team in Europe across the season. Just like Liverpool in 2005, we finished fifth in the league. We had an awful uh, squad of players with three or four exceptional individuals. and managed to, out of nowhere, just put together this momentum to win the Champions League. So whilst it's great when you get a season when the best team wins the Champions League, it doesn't always happen. And there's no doubt Manchester City are, if not the best, they are certainly in the top two or three best teams in Europe and have been over the last five or six years. They deserve to win the Champions League. Their form and their quality warrants winning the Champions League. But if they don't manage it, if this kind of Guardiola generation doesn't manage it, it, sh- it should not take away from how exceptionally good uh, they are. I, I actually hope they do, because as I've said in the past... I don't have any beef with Manchester City. I enjoy the fact that um, uh, the fact that it's either Manchester City or Liverpool who are kind of winning everything at the moment means that a certain other club 
who are, of course, the biggest club in the world. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, you know, who else could um, um, accommodate uh, uh, Fred and McTominay in central midfield? And you've got to be one hell of a club to carry those two um, uh, giants. Um, but uh, it, the, the fact that they're, they're, they're basically pissed off whoever wins. Um, so, so as a result of that, and I do have a respect for the fact that Man City was still, and, and people like, will often question this, but they they genuinely were still getting really good crowds when they were in League One. People will now throw sticks at them saying, well, they, they don't fill their, their 55,000 capacity stadium, whatever, for big Champions League games. And yet they don't always. And the atmosphere can feel a little bit stale. But ultimately, that's probably because it takes a long time to, to build that kind of worldwide fan base that you necessarily need to to kind of go to that next level as a club because they've grown so rapidly and even now, weirdly, they're not, despite having about 10 years of dominance, they're not really a, sh- a shirt that I see a lot of like kids playing football like in, in London where I live. You see all the other big clubs in the country. I don't often see Man City. So in a way, it's even more credit to them that they um, are, uh, you know, you know, filling out their stadium because, because they don't um, have the, you know, clubs like Liverpool, Man United, uh, Arsenal, um, uh, and, and Chelsea, I guess, to an extent, have fans from all over the world. Tottenham as well, really, have fans from all over the world coming to every single game. And that helps them fill these enormous arenas that, that are kind of being built. And, uh, uh, you know, so City shouldn't be judged on that. And good luck to them. So anyway, I know we need to wrap up. Um, I will... All I will say is we're we're in for a, you know, a potentially really quite momentous, era-defining next few weeks, just in terms of how close things could be at the top end of English and European football and this, this ongoing battle between two amazing clubs. And, uh, you know, I am quite nervous about it, but I'm also, I'm also really excited and and enjoying it. And it's great. (laughs) And that's it, Matthew. Great. But, 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 but don't, but, but the main headline here is Frank Lampard, football genius will keep Everton up. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) 